David Lowry. I'm Research Fellow for the Institute for Resource and Security Studies in Cambridge in Massachusetts. I'm Andrew Blowers, Emeritus Professor of Social Sciences at the Open University. Thank you both for talking to me. We're at the Hinkley Point C Revisited Public Policy Workshop for the Centre for Business Research. Perhaps, David, if we start with you, your thoughts after listening to remarks made at the workshop for the day on Hinkley Point C, the contract itself with EDF Energy and also China. There's been concern about that, but also concern about nuclear security and safety more generally. Yes. Well, on the contracts, I must say I, I was not aware of the detailed complexity of these contracts and how much difficulty there is in interpreting what they mean and what they might mean in the long term where they need to revoke some of the contracts. And I thought that the presentation was eye-opening, and I hope it goes further, particularly if it goes to the National Audit Office, who need to, I think, to address some of these points. On China, I was actually a bit surprised that we spent quite so much on China, even though we had a, a representative here who's Chinese, Chinese legal person. But it was a very intriguing discussion because it, it, it went along from local issues and whether or not the Chinese would recognize local concerns way to international diplomatic issues, which were very important. And uh, so even though we did spend a lot of time on it, I, I think it was, it was relevant to the discussion on Hinckley. On security, it's one of those areas that doesn't get enough attention in the public policy discussion of nuclear. I highlighted cybersecurity being a problem that maybe can't be solved. Physical security security measures and attempts to stop malevolent intruders getting into plants and terrorists obviously threatening plants. And I think even though we didn't discuss it in detail, I think there was a recognition from the participants that nuclear security is a very important policy issue that does need to be part of the consideration as we go forward, particularly if there is to be the deployment of a number of SMR, small modular reactors around the country on new greenfield sites. Which you thought might not actually come into being. It's a new policy, small nuclear reactors. But you thought in the longer term that wouldn't happen. Why? Well, I think the main reason it won't happen is that they'll only work in terms of their economic if they're built very close to population centres in order to take advantage of the heat that is also produced as part of the power plant. I think getting planning permission to build a nuclear reactor on a greenfield site near to population centres is pretty unlikely as it's very hard to get planning permission even on designated nuclear sites and they take that takes a long time. Introducing greenfield to building houses is controversial but a new nuclear plant on a greenfield site is almost beyond possibility. Andrew I'll turn to you and I'll make my question short. You've mm. recently written a book on nuclear energy. You're not in favour of the rolling out of the nuclear program as we've got it at the moment. You said in your summing up the emperor had no clothes. Why? Well, first of all, you refer to the book. It's actually on the legacy of nuclear power, and it looks at various communities and their relationship to the nuclear industry in different countries. So it's kind of an in-depth social and geographical study as well as a thing about the politics of nuclear waste. I said the emperor has no clothes with respect to nuclear policy. And what I meant by that was it seems to me, and has done for a long time, that there are virtually no arguments that seem to me to be persuasive for us to be pursuing a nuclear policy in this country, civil nuclear program. Indeed, I think the arguments are pretty well entirely in the other direction. In terms of nuclear's contribution to energy security, it seems to me that by the time any of these stations get built, that argument will have been solved because of the alternatives that will be coming in. 
that we'll have a situation where nuclear might indeed be surplus to requirements. I don't follow the arguments about load following that were put forward today. That seems to me yet again the nuclear industry arguing that it's still necessary when it, when it isn't. On the arguments on security, it seems to me it's a no-brainer. It is a highly insecure method of production, both insecure in the sense that these things take ages to build. When they have been built, they have all sorts of technical problems and so on, and you can't call them a secure form of producing power or even a sustainable form. And also there are the obvious insecurity questions in terms of the possibility of major accidents and also of terrorist intervention. So that argument seems to me has no purchase. The environmental arguments... Global warming, the, global the, the warming, sites and the global, waste. Global warming, I think, is not... Although the nuclear industry deploys it, by the time they're up and running, the alternatives will be much more low-carbon or even no-carbon solutions. I think that that is in prospect and will be coming in most countries, so why not in Britain? But, of course, it's an environmental problem in its own right. Nuclear energy has a huge impact on the local environment. For example, in the area I'm studying, which is Bradwell, a whole estuary would be infected by taking out cooling water and the sort of stuff that is stuck up in the air and put into the marine environment. It would completely trash that area. It's an environmental problem if something goes wrong. I mean, I regard nuclear energy as an environmental issue in its own right, not as a solution to sustainable development or to climate change, but in fact, possibly a contributor to it. If we go back to you, David, you've expressed concern about nuclear waste as well. There was also concern expressed about global warming, perhaps Sizewall being surrounded by water within 20 years because it's right on the coast. And also nuclear waste being stored by the side of size will be. And these issues not having been thought through in any public policy way. Not only have they not been thought through, but I think they've been deliberately kept off the agenda because they are a very inconvenient truth for the government and the nuclear industry to have these discussed explicitly and up front. We know that even though we were told in the seminar that there's a 48-49% popular support for nuclear in the country, if you introduce into the discussion people's views on nuclear waste, then the popularity of nuclear falls down much lower. And that's because they recognise there is a long-standing threat to their community of having nuclear waste. And I think also those people do believe in uh, the fact that the putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere is likely over time to raise the sea level, introduce more frequent flooding and wild weather on the coastline, means that you know the danger to these facilities built very close to the coastline increases over time. Ministers who have to make decisions on this need to recognise that this is a reality and they have to address it as they formulate their policy for the long-term storage of radioactive waste. I mean, radioactive waste to me is, as David says, it's almost a non-issue at the moment. And that's because the focus is entirely on producing nuclear energy in as large quantities as you can, as fast as we can. The fact is it will leave a legacy, and that legacy will persist. The suspended fuel on sites, on vulnerable sites, will last right into the next century. And possibly it's an enduring one. There may be no end in sight. So it seems to me immoral for us to be building new nuclear power stations with a legacy that lasts for three, four, possibly more generations. I regard the lack of any interest in the intergenerational issue as actually political negligence of the highest order. It is too difficult for people to think about it. They don't think beyond the next generation or so. Beyond that, the problems will accumulate and become that much greater. 
Finally, David, a nuclear renaissance, short-term, long-term. Are we going to see Hinkley 30 years hence, Hinkley Seagum to fruition? Is there going to be a size we'll see? Is there going to be a Bradwell? Well, looking into my crystal ball, I think that the most likely outcome is that Hinkley C will be started but not completed. And my thoughts are that there's likely to be another nuclear accident somewhere in the world. Like Fukushima. Fukushima size accident or a Chernobyl size accident, maybe not with the same cause. And that will uh, lead to a huge revision of, of policy by the government and by the nuclear safety regulators. And I think there's also likely, unfortunately, to be a nuclear terrorist incident in which will terrify people about what can happen with nuclear facilities. And I think that will also put massive question marks in the mind of ministers. So I think that there won't be any Hinkley C which will be com- built to completion, although it might be started. Do you agree with that? Yes, I, I do agree. I, I think there's a massive complacency in terms of our policy because very little regard is really taken of the issue of terrorism, of accidents, of radioactive waste in the long run, all of which should discount this as a possible way of using What interested me about today was that it seemed to me nearly everybody came to the same conclusions, completely different bases. The conclusion being that nuclear energy hasn't really got much of a future in this country beyond one or two of these mega stations, and most people discounted SMRs as well. I mean, I came at it from, I would say, an ethical position that I think it's manifestly wrong and that we don't need it. There are people around who thought it was a feasible technology but couldn't see it being built for technical reasons or economic reasons or even political reasons. So it's quite interesting, I think, that when you've got a government and the industry pursuing a policy of something like six mega sites that most people don't think is going to happen. And that's why I use the phrase emperor has no clothes. At some point, people are going to realise this or it's just going to happen anyway. Andrew Blouse, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Centre for Business Research podcast series on Hinkley Point C Revisited, our public policy workshop. David, last word to you, emperor has no clothes. Well, I think I go along with that, Andy said, for the reasons he said, that, that you know, there's been a, a lot of money put into presenting the nuclear case from those who promote nuclear energy. And when, when the case is examined in detail, when we have a chance to look at the documentation, when we have a chance to cross-examine those proponents, the case disintegrates bit by bit by bit. So I think ultimately, yeah, there's no close on the, on the atomic emperor. David Lowry, thank you very much too. Thank you. Thank you.